Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. We are nearing the end of February here. And by the time you're listening to this, it might be right around Rare Disease Day, which is February 29th this year. And this is a fantastic opportunity for us at the foundation, but also for you all to raise awareness about Phelan McDermott syndrome. So please go check out our social media where we have both frames for your profile related to Rare Disease Day and an info sheet with some of the top facts about Phelan McDermott syndrome for you to share with whoever you see fit. This could be friends, family, uh, work, and really meant to raise awareness. So if you're interested in that, please go check out our social media. And I have a great episode for you all today. I'm interviewing Dr. Tony Persico, who is an Italian clinician and scientist who just led a clinical trial on metabolic support therapy in Phelan McDermott syndrome. And we really dive into what the results were of this trial. What were the benefits that they saw? What are the possible side effects? And he really had a lot of educational things to say. So I learned a lot. And this is a question we get a lot from families. What things could we try, you know, that are possibly over the counter with help from our clinicians that could supplement uh, what we're doing treatment wise right now. So that is the spirit of this podcast. And next month, I'll be chatting with Neuron Pharmaceuticals also on clinical trial results from their recent phase two trial. So uh, please stay tuned for that. And the last thing I wanted to mention to you all is that we are revamping the research web pages on our website, pmsf.org, and this includes clinical trials. So we will have a brand new clinical trials page shortly that has a lot more information than it used to. Um, there will be summaries of all past trials and rationale for future trials and any updated details that come our way. So we will let you know when that is up and please stay tuned for that. And otherwise, I hope you enjoy the episode and I will see you next time. Welcome, Tony. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you, Katie. It's a pleasure. So you are an Italian clinician and scientist with a background in neuropsychiatry. And you've been a huge support to the Phelan McDermott syndrome community as an advisor to the Italian Association for Phelan McDermott syndrome. And you're a member of the neuropsychiatric consult group. Can you give listeners a little bit more background on your work and how you became interested in Phelan McDermott syndrome? Yes, I work as a child and adolescent psychiatrist in Modena in Italy, but originally I come from adult psychiatry, so I'm able to see patients also once they become uh, older. Um, uh, I became interested in Phelan McDermott syndrome from a scientific point of view because I've always been interested in autism spectrum disorder. And of course, uh, PMS is one of the best known monogenic forms of ASD. Uh, but the real reason is that I came in contact with the president of ISFM, Loredana Pensabene, and with her uh, wonderful son, Vincenzo, who has a severe form of PMS. And since then, um, I was able to really get into uh, knowing uh, more and more of this syndrome and also being closer to families and to their special needs. That is a story that is not unlike a lot of 
um, clinicians and scientists that we have in our space that, you know, first become invested in the syndrome and then meet people with Phelan and Dermot syndrome and become even more invested. So thank you for that. So the reason we're chatting today is you recently led a clinical trial, which concluded on people with Phelan McDermott syndrome. And the goal of the trial was to test a metabolic support therapy, which is essentially a mixture of antioxidant and vitamins. What was the reasoning that um, something like this might benefit someone with Phelan McDermott syndrome? What, how did this start? Uh, this actually started from a series of studies that um, I ran, especially in collaboration with people at the University of Bari, on uh, the involvement of mitochondria and of energy metabolism in uh, postmortem brains, genetics, biochemistry of individuals with autism spectrum disorder. And then once that was uh, uh, clear, which is that there is an involvement of mitochondria and energy metabolism, the idea that Philip McDermott syndrome is really uh, close in many ways to autism spectrum disorder uh, under many points of view led me to uh, test uh, clinically uh, uh, coenzyme Q10, uh, vitamin E, and polyvitamin B uh, in this family, in this in these patients. And um, uh, actually, I noticed some improvement. So that's what triggered my interest and, and move on from uh, single case observations to a full, full, full exploratory uh, randomized control trial. And if we back up a little bit to metabolism in general and, you know, mitochondria, um, we always hear they're the powerhouse of the cell. So they're the compartments in our cells that, um, you know, turn things into energy and produce energy. So um, is there evidence that metabolism or energy production is disrupted in um, autism or in Phelan McDermott syndrome that first led you to become interested in it? Uh, yes, indeed. Um, any type of neurodevelopmental disorder which generates uh, neural networks which are not uh, fully functional generates an uh, excessive request of energy in order to compensate as much as possible for this uh, uh, lack of um, uh, ideal connectivity. So what happens is really that when we try to boost uh, energy production through uh, coenzyme Q10, when we try to keep down uh, oxidative stress as much as possible, we're really not trying to uh, uh, tackle uh, the precise molecular mechanism of each single neurodevelopmental disorder. Mm -hmm. But what we are really trying to do is really to boost the um, um, uh, effectiveness of the uh, brain with its own characteristics so that it's going to become as efficient as it can be. I think that is a question that we get a lot from families is, are there things that are, you know, currently available that might serve as some kind of support that, you know, maybe, um, maybe could just help their child or their loved one function a little bit better without a lot of additional risk. So I think it's appreciated that this was tested and people with Phelan McDermott syndrome. So you mentioned oxidative stress and you mentioned coenzyme Q10. Um, but can we break that down even a little bit more? What is coenzyme Q10? 
Uh, coenzyme Q10 is a uh, natural substance present uh, in just about every cell of every living organ, uh, which um, uh, contributes to this passage of electrons from one molecule to the next so that ultimately this cascade will lead to the production of ATP, which is really the powerhouse that holds energy in our cells. So facilitating this, pro this process leads to greater availability of ATP. As I was telling you before, when neural networks are not fully functional, they use a lot of energy. So what happens is that on top of their um, um, lack of perfect uh, functionality, you have this additional layer of limitation induced by uh, the fact that um, they are using so much energy and producing so much oxidative stress. Ultimately, we are not fixing the engine, one could say, but we are certainly putting more gas in the tank and allowing the car to run as fast as it can and as far as it can with all its limitations. So just to make sure I have this right, and please feel free to correct me, coenzyme Q10, vitamin E, and polyvitamin B all together would serve to boost energy production and possibly even protect a little bit against oxidative stress or work as antioxidant and boosting energy. Is that right? Boosting energy, protecting from oxidative stress, and some compounds present in the polyvitamin B are also helpful in the synthesis of GABA. And there is um, uh, a lot of evidence that in just about all these neurodevelopmental disorders, there is an imbalance between excitation and inhibition such that improving a little bit the synthesis of GABA may be helpful to some extent. So it's really a uh, conjunction of these three mechanisms that we think are, are being helpful. And while it's three mechanisms and several compounds, the good thing um, about this therapy one of the good things is that it does not make use of the very, very large number of compounds that were being tested early in the 2000s uh, when, uh, you know, cocktails of over 30 compounds were being given to patients with uh, neurodevelopmental disorders. And that's very difficult to track down which compound is doing what. So these metabolic supports, all, you know, coenzyme Q10, vitamin E, are currently available as supplements over the counter. Is that generally right? I think it might differ depending on the country, but um, is this a unique combination that you can only get prescribed at a doctor or can people um, take this themselves? Um, as you said, it's dependent on which country you live in and also on the national health systems of different countries. In general, these are natural compounds, so they are mostly over the counter. You don't need a prescription. Uh, what I would advise though, is that um, doses be given uh, with care because the dose doesn't work like the more you give the better. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, dosing is important. And the other thing is that uh, exactly because it's an over-the-counter product, uh, you really need to be careful. And I, I always tell families, please go to uh, speak to your pharmacist 
and make sure that you get a, a product which is high quality mm -hmm. uh, because I've had some better stories and some worse stories. And sometimes, um, you know, our health and the health of our children deserves a little bit of uh, greater sacrifice in terms of economy. Uh, so uh, it's really important that people use uh, good quality compounds. That's that's really great advice. Thank you for that. And let's jump into the trial. So how was the trial designed? Roughly how many people for how long? Um, can you tell us anything about the trial itself, the design? Yes, the trial um, it was a, a randomized control trial, uh, which um, um, uh, was uh, had a crossover design. Namely, uh, you could either get uh, the CoQ10 and vitamins for four months, or in the other four months, you could only get... Um, the vitamins without the CoQ10. Mm -hmm. um, the reason for this design uh, is that, first of all, each child and adolescent with Phelan McDermott syndrome is so different from any other that it's very, very difficult to really balance uh, a sample of cases with a sample of controls. Uh, even if they have the same deletion, you know very well that they can be clinically very different. So. Uh, we wanted each patient to be a control to himself. Uh, the second reason is that when this project started, and that's now way back six years ago, uh, I wasn't quite aware yet of how uh, also vitamins were providing uh, a sizable contribution to the efficacy of this therapy. We wanted to explore how things were uh, in terms of effect size, efficacy, and tolerability. And uh, it actually worked out in giving us these indications. And how many people were roughly in it? 33 PMS patients entered the study and 31 uh, finished it. So we only had two dropouts along the way. I also think it's an interesting point for families to remember that not every clinical trial is, you know, an investigational new drug that is, you know, being tested for the first time. It could be something like these vitamins or some combination um, that is available and is being tested, you know, at a certain dose in a certain population to see how much it helps in a very scientific way. Um, and this kind of work is really important so that you can have more and more confidence to tell families, you know, there was a study and it did show these benefits or these risks, and it's it's very robust. So um, I just wanted to add that in. Exactly. Thank you. And what were the results of the clinical trial? Okay. The results of the clinical trial were, I think, very encouraging, both in reference to the efficacy and the tolerability. Uh, in terms of efficacy, we were not expecting a miracle drug or a wonder bullet. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we did actually observe what I would define a mild to moderate effect, um, which nonetheless was recorded. And there were several measures that gave us a significant difference when the patient was taking all three compounds as compared to only vitamins. Uh, measures like uh, motor function, measured with a vinyl uh, measures like uh, 
stereotypic behaviors, uh, interest and social play. And the one that struck me the most, I have to say, was the quality of life of parents and especially mothers who seem to be more sensitive to change than any other measure. Uh, the quality of life improved by 4.5 points of the WHO quality of life scale. Uh, if you consider that um, in an autistic child, uh, correcting sleep or improving uh, misbehaviors with uh, risperidone leads to a six-point change, mm -hmm. a four-point change is not trivial. So these were the encouraging uh, results that we got, uh, which really lead us to believe that um, now a conclusive RCT is, is indeed, uh, is indeed uh, worth undertaking. The other good thing is about side effects. Um, any treatment that has any efficacy should be expected to have some side effects. Mm -hmm. However, here side effects were really mild, very manageable. And uh, I could say summarizing uh, the most I can, that it's really in very few patients an increase in hyperactivity, having more energy becomes, uh, uh, you know, uh, the child becomes a little bit more hyperactive. Um, but in general, um, there were no major side effects. Uh, however, there's one caveat that I want to give to families, uh, which is that after the trial was over, we let families continue on uh, uh, taking this therapy, especially the families, of course, that had noticed an improvement and they were happy about it. Um, and in two cases um, of patients that were already being uh, diagnosed before the trial as having a comorbidity with bipolar disorder, mm -hmm. uh, after four to six months, we had a manic switch. So I cannot exclude that uh, these patients should be treated with uh, more care, that perhaps instead of just uh, taking this therapy for months or for years, they should be given only for a shorter period of time, and especially in those periods that correspond to their depressed period and not the period when they uh, usually tend to become a little bit more activated. So this is just a question mark that I'm giving you. I'm not sure but I've noticed this later after the trial was published, and I want to give this information to families just in case. But aside from that, no major side effects, and uh, just about everybody says, my child is more present, he's there, he's more in tune with the rest of the family, um, and we've had at least uh, one case of a child that started writing on, uh, on a keyboard, uh, so he developed uh, spoken language in some way, but not spoken verbal. It was written language. And we had another case of a child with a very, very huge deletion, a nine megabase deletion, who was actually able to sit up, uh, start using spoon and fork. And uh, parents sent me actually a picture of her uh, sitting on a pony. And she was really happy because for the first time in her life, she was able to uh, take a short pony ride uh, in circle. So, I mean, again, not a miracle drug, not a miracle therapy, but while uh, we await for molecular therapies, targeted molecular therapies to come, come about, it's something that can help and might also be 
possible to associate with this type of approaches? Nobody can see me, but I'm smiling a lot because it's just, it's really nice to hear about those improvements and especially improvement in quality of life um, here for mothers or for caregivers. I will link the um, paper with the results to this um, podcast description so that families can um, see for themselves what some of the impacts were um, positive and then also any side effects mentioned. And we also appreciate you mentioning possible additional effects for those who might have bipolar disorder or other um, comorbidities later. Is that something that might be written up in the future um, so even more people can see it if you do continue to follow those families? I've not observed uh, this type of clinical reaction in any other patient afterwards. Mm -hmm. So again, I'm not sure that there was a real connection because with bipolar, it's really difficult to say whether there is a direct link or it is just a, a switch that would have happened anyway. Um, but um, I hope to be able to run this conclusive uh, randomized control trial. And within that context, I will be comparing the full therapy with inactive placebo. And if I compare the full therapy with inactive placebo, I think there should be a better chance to observe if there are even more clear uh, side effects. Uh, and uh, of course, I hope not to see a, a, a any more uh, of these uh, manic switches, but should it happen, indeed, it would have to be uh, absolutely uh, published. You, you touched on something that I was going to ask about. You said conclusive clinical trial. What does that entail? Is that just including the placebo? Is that more people? What makes it conclusive? There are at least uh, two or three aspects that make it conclusive. Uh, issue number one will be the choice, the selection of outcome measures. In our conclusive trial, we now know exactly which measure we need to use as a primary outcome measure, the most sensitive in our first trial. And we also know which secondary measures to use. So the second is um, the design of the study, which this time is gonna be full therapy versus inactive placebo. Uh, the third may have to be um, the way we actually design the order of administration, but I still have to um, make up my mind on that. And I think it highlights challenges that are just, you know, exist in trials in general that you're looking for the most sensitive ways to see changes, the most robust ways to measure them and be able to um, compare. So I think it's very appreciated that um, this would will likely be moving forward to a more to a conclusive trial and um, have even more evidence um, either way. So I had one curiosity question um, that's kind of specific, but this is a oral medication. Is that right? Absolutely, yes. Did you have any issues with any um, people with failing maternity syndrome that had trouble taking medication orally, or was that an inclusion criteria that they had to be able to do that? Uh, no, any type of therapy that requires you to swallow pills would not be very suitable for the treatment of 
uh, at least the, the the patients that I that I see most often. So um, uh, CoQ10 is produced in pills, but they can be opened, and they can be then uh, the content can be administered with uh, uh, yogurt, with orange juice. Uh, it does not have to be taken uh, sw swallowing the entire pill. Uh, vitamin E um, is of course. Uh, uh, a little bit oily, dense, but you can mm. put it on on a piece of cake, on a piece of bread, and and it's it's gonna it's gonna be uh, quite eatable. And uh, polyvitamin B is liquid, so everything can be uh, taken by also by individuals that have trouble swallowing. That is that's great to know. I think that might be something that would be on families' minds listening to this. So. Families are hearing a lot about investigational new drug trials, and we've touched on this a bit, um, that this is not necessarily a new drug, um, but these we're, they've been hearing a lot about things that are specifically designed to treat phelan McDermott syndrome, like gene therapy or other things. Um, so where does, where does metabolic support therapy fit in? I think you've already pretty much answered this, that, you know, it can be something that augments, you know, quality of life and functioning um, in addition to or as we are looking to these other therapies also. Do you have anything else to add to that? My expectation would be precisely what you said, which is that uh, metabolic support therapy is suitable, is suitable to help uh, the function of uh, the central nervous system, um, you know, uh, whatever the issue, whatever the problem, but uh, my expectation is that its effect should be um, additional to the effect of uh, other forms of therapies. Mm -hmm. uh, nonetheless, of course, this will have to be will have to be tested once these uh, molecular therapies uh, become available. But my expectation is that that's the way it should work. I just want to highlight that that does not make this any less important. I think this kind of trial is something that families ask us about all the time. Um, is there something that can be done now that can be supportive, that can make an impact in some of the things that you were just saying of, you know, children or adults being able to do more things in their daily lives? And um, those kind of publications, you know, they get out there into the medical community. And so you're very connected with clinicians and scientists in Phelan McDermott syndrome. So I know everybody has already seen this. I've seen it circulated even among the neuropsychiatric consult group. So this type of work, you know, it's so important. I just want to reiterate to families that it takes years. Um, it's very well controlled and it just, it gives evidence of this is possibly something that could benefit people with Phelan McDermott syndrome and gets out there into the community once it's published. So um, I think that's exciting. Well, thank you very much. Uh, indeed, it's been many years of work. And, um, um, you know, people always expect, uh, rightly so, uh, that we come up with uh, targeted molecular therapies. Um, but in the meantime, uh, if we can improve the quality of life by, say, 20, 30 percent, I think it's already it's already a major advance. So, um, yes. I am awaiting for these uh, molecular therapies as much as uh, you and everybody else. But in the meantime, I think this can be helpful. And um, I've seen it 
I've seen it work, of course, because otherwise I wouldn't be talking to you today, <laughs> aside from the study. And um, and I look forward to um, hearing feedbacks from from the American families mm -hmm. about their experience with it. Absolutely, and we are happy to help. You know, if we hear anything, um, share it back. And this is also only a subset of what you do. Um, you also do other work in phalanx German syndrome and other disorders, including um, like genotype, phenotype type studies. We won't get into any of that today, um, but we did just chat with you about you possibly attending our conference over the summer and presenting some work there. So um, I think families will get a chance to meet you and chat with you about a number of different things. So we're, we're thrilled about that. Well, I'm thrilled as well because I was so disappointed when I was already expecting to be able to join your family association in Florida, mm -hmm. but then COVID came by and uh, I know that it's was been... really disappointing. So I'm really looking forward to uh, coming to um, to Minneapolis and to um, joining your your wonderful uh, Congress. It's been six years, which is hard to imagine. I've only been at the foundation less than three years. So um, I'm really looking forward to seeing everyone in person and um, having some good scientific conversations as well. So thank you so much for joining us today, Tony. This was a great chat and we appreciate it. Thank you very much, Kate. It's been a pleasure.